show is a proud member of Friends in Tech at friendsintech.com. You're listening to Geek Cred, episode number 17. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Rickyberg and welcome to Geek Cred. Now, Geek Cred is the show that gives you the inside scoop on everything geek, from tech to sci-fi to games. So, I want to welcome all the new listeners and returning listeners. Welcome back. Now, as always, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me geekcred at geekcred.net. You can call the voicemail line at 206-424-9125, or just head on over to the website at www.geekcred.net. Now, featured on this episode is an interview with Chris Lester, the creative mind behind the Metamore City podcast series. But first, we have the contest. Now, remember on the last episode, I announced a contest where you could win a free subscription to J. Marks Xavier's audio drama miniseries, Red Monday. Well, the deadline to get your entries in was on December 9th, so let's pick a winner. All right, so I've got my email client opened up here. Now I've got all of the contest entries loaded up. So I'm going to close my eyes and without looking, I'm going to randomly click one. So here goes. All right, our winner is Darren Knight. So congratulations, Darren. You should be getting your subscription shortly. And for those of you that didn't win, don't let that deter you from checking out Red Monday, www.redmonday.com. Some great stuff there. Also, This definitely will not be our last contest, so stay tuned for another chance to win some cool stuff. Well, now that we've done that, let's move in to trivia. Last episode's trivia question was, who invented the first computer mouse? Now, the answer I was looking for was Douglas Engelbart at the Stanford Research Institute in 1963. However, the first modern production mouse was by Bill English in 1972, as part of the Xerox Park, so I'll accept that answer as well. Now this was correctly answered by Doug Biggers, better known in our chat room as DQB. Now this episode's trivia question is, appropriately enough, submitted by Chris Lester. In Star Wars, what is the primary export of Bespin, and what is it used for? In Star Wars, what is the primary export of Bespin, and what is it used for? Think you know the answer? Send it to geekcred at geekcred.net or call the voicemail line at 206-424-9125. All right, and now let's go right into the interview with Chris Lester. I'd like to welcome Chris Lester, the creative mind slash mad scientist behind (laughs) Metamore City to GeekCred. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Hey, Steve, doing really well. Thanks for having me on the show. So why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and about Metamore City? Okay, well, as you said, I am a mad scientist, uh, partly because we'd have to be crazy to do this. Very true. (laughs) Partly because uh, pretty much I've always wanted to do something related to the sciences. Uh, I can remember being a young kid watching Jacques Cousteau videos during the summers, Mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I went and uh, got my bachelor's degree in biochemistry and then went out to the University of California and did my master's program there uh, working on elephant seals. And then finished that up and 
realized I was thousands of dollars in debt and didn't really have any immediate job prospects. So I decided, hmm, coming home is looking like a really good idea right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I went back home and just started, you know, looking for a job in the sciences. You know, I figured with my bachelor's degree in biochemistry that I'd be able to get something in biotech or some such. I didn't realize I was coming home to a Michigan that was in the worst economy it has had in probably the last 50 years. So, yeah, it was uh, not really. After three months of looking for a job remotely related to what I wanted to do with my life, I fell back on temping, and uh, that got me into the wonderful and exciting world of working for title insurance, which most people don't even understand what it is. But uh, it paid the bills, and it helped me to you know get rid of that debt and get saved up for something. (laughs) I have uh, since that time tried a few times to get back into grad school for a PhD. Unfortunately, the Bush administration has completely slashed anything resembling funding for biological sciences. So there's really no grant money available to take on PhD students. It was really not the best market that I got myself into the middle of. Just a bit of unfortunate timing. So I'm stuck here in this 40-hour-a-week job doing, you know, something that requires almost no brain power, and I start listening to podcasts to pass the time, because, hey, it's not like I need my brain for what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'd been writing fiction for years. I started in a, uh, uh, I think my first fiction attempt was actually like first grade when we had a writing contest and uh, we were actually dictating to the teachers and they were writing down our stories. (laughs) So I won an award in that and that pretty much fed into my um, egotism and just, hey, I can find ways for people to pay attention to me. So that really started a love of of creativity and uh, something that my parents really encouraged as I was growing up. And uh, in 1996, I was uh, just getting into college full time and I joined an online writers group. And uh, there were a number of shared story universes that were cropping up at about that time where one person would create a setting and then say, here's this sandbox, go ahead and play with it, here are the rules. Mm. And uh, one of those is uh, one that I got into early on, which was a sort of near-future science fiction setting called The Blind Pig Universe, or Tales from the Blind Pig. And another one that I got into it shortly thereafter was a fantasy setting called Metamore Keep. Um, this was at that time it was a you know high fantasy swords and sorcery sort of setting, very much uh tolkien esque kind of thing at least that 's what it, it kind of ended up becoming. I got into it early on, and uh, so I was able to take part in the world building for that uh, that setting and uh, help to establish the shapes of the continents and who the major political and religious players were, and you know all the overarching backstory that was going on behind the scenes of the little stories of the uh, the individual characters. So this, even though I didn't start Metamore Keep, it was 
something that always felt like my baby because I had had such a large part in shaping it in the early stages. Um, Mm -hmm. So around about 1999, I started thinking about, you know, where is this setting going long term? My love of uh, science fiction and the near future stuff that I had played around with in the Blind Pig setting got me thinking about what would Metamore look like if it were advanced into the 20th century. You know, if you have technology growing up alongside magic, uh, what is that going to do? What, you know, how is that mm-hmm. going to change technology and how is it going to change magic? And It's definitely uh, a unique premise, I think. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's unique, but it's one that, that I don't know if it's been done very often, very successfully. Certainly, yeah. It's kind of ironic that several years after I was, you know, in the process of building Metamore City, you know, I had this idea in my head of this, you know, vast layered cityscape and, you know, this city built around towers and, you know, being socially stratified on the basis of how far you were from the ground. Um, this, These were all things that had been in my head for years and then when Dungeons and Dragons third and a half edition came out and they debuted the Eberron campaign setting focused around the city of Sharn, they had it's like all of those concepts there in this sort of pseudo steampunk, pseudo fantasy world. And it's like, huh. I don't know you know, it's like just this one of those odd little confluences. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where Metamore City got started. It was me thinking about this shared setting of Metamore Keep and where it could go in the future. And of course, not everybody who was writing in that world agreed with me. A lot of them had their own ideas about directions that should be taken. So I said, you know, hey, this is a spinoff. This is my little vision of one of an infinitude of possible futures for this world. And I took it and ran with it. And a few people came along with me for the ride, but uh, it's very much grown into its own thing apart from Metamore Keep. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into this whole science fiction slash fantasy genre in the first place? Oh, gosh. Um, Science fiction and fantasy have always been where my heart has been. I think because science fiction and fantasy are the genres of the dreamers. They are the genres where it's okay to ask the really crazy, wild questions. You know, you can say, what is it like for a person to, you know, deal with the, the psycho- what's the psychology of a vampire? What's the psychology of a, a werewolf or a person who has another personality inside themselves that they have to learn to coexist with? What kinds of, you know, you can think of all kinds of interesting societies built around the implications of magic or psionics or, um, you know, or any kind of advanced technology. And, uh, you know, it just helps to, I think that you, you learn interesting things about human beings and about what we are as people and, and what it means to be human if you look mm. at things under really extreme conditions, there's a principle in physiology. I did my master's work in the world of, of physiological ecology, which is basically how does an animal do what it does 
you know, how is the way that it's built enable it to do what it does? And there's a, a guiding philosophy in that branch of science, which says, if you want to know how something works, take it into the most extreme case and situation that you can imagine and study it there. So if you want to learn how kidney function works, look at an animal in the desert. If you want to know how an animal deals with water balance, look at it in a marine mammal that has to be in a situation where they're surrounded by seawater, which, you know, most mammals can't drink. So if you want to look at an animal that has to deal with conserving heat, you know, look at animals in the Arctic. So this concept, I think you can also apply it to sociological questions, where if you want to know how societies work, you take them to the natural extreme, you put them in a circumstance that is either unlikely or impossible in everyday life, and let them run and see what happens to them. And that's, I think, what um, you see a lot in fantasy. I, you know, look at uh, one of my favorite novels, uh, Robert Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. There you've got these people in an extremely unusual situation in that you've got a prison colony, or what used to be a prison colony, on the moon. And so you've got this, this society where people are inches away from death, at any time, if you know anything goes wrong, you know, or if you have an argument with somebody, all it takes to kill them is to throw them out the airlock, or vice versa, all it takes to kill you is to throw you out an airlock. So it creates this situation where politeness, where civility in discourse is extremely important, not just for you know manners, but for survival. And so in Heinlein's society that he sets up for the, the loonies, you can see where they have this tremendous need to be polite and civil. And there are these very rigid rules about what is and is not acceptable in public discourse. And so their circumstances change and alter and direct the growth of that entire society. And I think that you can get into some really interesting questions about human nature when you look at humanity under those kinds of really bizarre out there sorts of situations that you just can't get in the real world. You've definitely really been thinking this stuff through. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get my BS degree for nothing. <laughs> my brain hurts. <laughs> so do you find that challenging meshing that element of high fantasy with modern technology? <sighs> challenging. I don't know if that's quite the right word. I mean, it's uh, it required a lot of forethought, and Metamorph City is something that's been growing in my head since, like I said, 1999. So it's getting on, wow, almost nine years I've been thinking about this stuff. That's scary. <laughs> I feel old. <laughs> the main thing for me was thinking about how magic relates to modern society, not so much technology, because you can pretty mm. much set whatever kinds of rules you want to where magic and technology are concerned. There are, there are settings where magic and technology are, are antithetical to one another, and the presence of one will impede the other from acting. The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher is a great example of that. 
there are worlds where magic and technology seem to get along just fine. Uh, you know, various kinds of steampunk or near steampunk sorts of worlds. Um, the old comic battle chasers that Joe Matarera did had a lot of um, magic fused with technology in it. So I think as long as you're consistent in setting up your, your rules for how magic and technology play with each other, that uh, you're going to be okay there. The big questions for me came into how does a modern society deal with the presence of the overtly supernatural? Mm. In Metamore City, you've got a situation where about a tenth of the population are active mages, and about twice that number have the potential for magery. What do you do when you have a society where anybody's body could, you know, anybody's body combined with their mind, combined with their power of will, can potentially be a weapon? Hmm. You can't take that away from them. You know, you can't lock up that no sheer number of people, especially not if it's a society where the uh, there's a long, proud tradition of using magic and where, you know, magic is necessary in order for society to continue to function the way that it's been functioning. And so the question becomes, how do you regulate something like this? How do you keep it under control to make sure that people are using it in a way that's responsible? And that led to the idea of the uh, the mana uh, restraining collars, that people are tested for majory early on in life and then uh, fitted with an inhibitor, a leash, if they have that, that aptitude. And then, of course, if they want to develop that aptitude, if they want to you know, make use of these uh, natural giftings of theirs, they have to then go and work within the confines of one of these established licensed schools, unless they do the uh, quick and dirty route of going and getting their collars illegally removed, at which point they become a danger to themselves and others. That was one of the big things that I thought a lot about in the early stages of, of putting together Metamore was how to deal with magic and how to keep it under control so that these people were not endangering the lives of ordinary citizens. Another thing that really came up in my ruminations on the subject was the idea of how vampires and humans would interact. And, uh, you know, if, if vampires essentially were out if they were known to exist and uh, were capable of behaving in a civilized fashion, you know, what kinds of roles would they end up filling in mm -hmm. society and how would they end up interacting with people? And uh, so the idea of vampires as crime lords was uh, <laughs> particularly uh, appealing to me. Any uh, creature that depends upon humanity for its food supply is not going to want to run roughshod over them. Mm -hmm. It's going to, yep. you know, you're going to want to maintain a sense of peace and order and stability, but you're not necessarily going to feel bound by the laws of mortal society. So what do you do? You then look for every opportunity that you can seize, but you do it in a very orderly very organized sort of fashion so as to eliminate your competition. Those were some of the things that I thought about the most in the early stages of working on Metamore. As I got into working on the uh, 
upcoming novel, Making the Cut, I started thinking a lot more about the telepaths and their place in the world. And uh, after some conversations with some of the other people on my little writer's wiki who have been helping me put together the ongoing storyline, some of them really helped me to see the degree to which that I had established the telepaths, the Psy Collective, sort of, there, there was a Chekhov's Law sort of thing going on here, where I had set up all of this foreshadowing about the uh, Psy Collective and their the tension between them and mundane society, and their fear and paranoia about eventually becoming targets of mundane society. And uh, so having set up all of this, I had not really uh, come to an under, a decision about what direction I was going to go with it. But after some conversations with some of my uh, fellow writers, they helped me to really shape that until it was a central point of the this ongoing story arc. And then, of course, the natural thing for me to do in starting to tell this story was to go back and show that world, to explore the world of the the telepaths and how they interact with uh, mundane society. And that's a large part of the focus of the uh, the first novel. Now, you mentioned the first novel and that it's a podcast series, not just one podcast novel. Mm-hmm. So how much do you have to tell in this in this universe? Oh, heavens. The ideas that I have, basically, I'm kind of approaching this from the same perspective as like the New Jedi Order in the Star Wars books, where you had one overarching story arc that had a beginning, a middle, and an end, but that there were individual story arcs within that that were sort of, to some degree, self-contained, but that they also led one into the next, into the next, and they built upon each other. And I have some ideas that are short story length, and I have some ideas that are probably going to be uh, novel length. When I started making the cut, I did not realize that this was going to be a, you know, probably 400-page novel. I uh, thought it was, you know, I I originally conceived of it as a novella at Hmm. most. And then the story just, I kept realizing that it was a bigger story than I thought it was, and that the characters that I was setting up really needed time to to develop and I needed to do justice to them to explore who they were and their individual um, paths that they were taking within the context of this story. So I don't know exactly how many novels there are going to be in the series. I know that uh, I have a basic concept in mind for essentially a three-act structure you know, where I've got one act where I'm putting all of the, the players into place. And, you know, act two is sort of where the uh, the villain's plot becomes obvious. And then number three is where everything goes to hell in a handbasket and the heroes have to try to pull it all together again. But exactly how many stories that's going to take or how many um, side tracks it's going to go down in the process, I don't know. Like I said, making the cut was supposed to be set up, and it's turned into a novel in its own right. So who knows where this is going to go in the long run. But you definitely have no shortage of stories to tell in this world, I think. 
Oh, heavens, no. I've got a lot of uh, a lot of story left to tell. It's a very big world with a lot of characters in it and uh, a lot of them that have their own little journeys to go on that I'm interested in exploring. Geek Cred is going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have the rest of the interview with Chris Lester. You've entered the twisted mind of Scott Sigler. You've descended into the inner darkness of Phil Rossi. Now, journey into the imagination of T. Morris. This is Moravi Remastered. The world's first podcast novel, reimagined with a new soundtrack, restored scenes, and the voice talents of Leanne Mabry, Christiana Ellis, Philippa Ballantyne, and George Harab. And the podcast continues in the fall of 2008 with Legacy of Moravi. And in 2009, with an original podcast anthology. The Dragon Clan of Moravi. A project so sweeping in scope. An adventure so epic in scale. It takes two ballsy voiceover professionals to cut the promo. Moravi Remastered. Pirates. Ninjas. And one hell of a good time. Subscribe at www.moravi.net. And enjoy the ride. Hey, this is J.C. Hutchins, author of the podcast novel trilogy, Seventh Son, and you're listening to Geek Cred. So how did you discover podcasting, and why did you decide to tell your story through this medium? I started... I, I ran into podcasting initially because I am a huge brown coat mm. and I found uh, Firefly Talk. Um, that was, I think, the either the first or the second podcast that I discovered. I also discovered the podcast version of the Naked Scientists BBC uh, radio program at about the same time. And I don't remember which of those I found first. But Firefly Talk is definitely the one that uh, I got hooked on the most. And from Firefly Talk, I got into The Signal. And from Signal, I got into Slice of Sci-Fi. And from Slice of Sci-Fi, I got into I Should Be Writing. And from there, it was an explosion of dozens and dozens of podcasts. I totally understand. I'm sure many podcast listeners will have a similar story. Oh, yeah. And uh, now the first uh, podcast fiction that I listened to, I think, was Escape Pod and uh, would have been uh, Murr's short story, I Look Forward to Remembering You, which I found through I Should Be Writing. So that was my uh, first introduction to podcast and short fiction. And that was really what got me uh, to love short stories again, actually, was listening to Escape Pod. I'd listened to some audiobooks because I've, I've been an Audible subscriber for about three years now. And uh, that's a wonderful way to get a lot of books for not a lot of money if you have the time to listen to them. But uh, the idea of listening to free audio fiction was something that uh, I came to relatively late. Uh, the first podcast novel I heard was Seventh Son, and I was really digging that. But it wasn't until after um, 
April of this year when Sigler got his big book deal that I started to realize, you know, maybe this is more than just people playing around. <laughs> maybe, you know, this could, maybe this is a potential gateway to, to getting yeah. noticed. And, uh, so I had had, you know, in terms of why give it away for free, I, you know, the truth is that because I was writing in a shared universe, my stuff was already getting give, given away for free. It was being distributed to the mailing lists that I was a part of. Uh, I was putting it up on my websites. So, you know, the, uh, the stories that I was telling uh, in Metamore City didn't really find their audience uh, in the groups that I was a part of at that time, a lot of the people who were in Metamore Keep at that time, you know, kind of looked askance at what I was doing with the uh, the setting in the spinoff. And, uh, you know, there were some people who, who dug it, but a lot of them were just kind of, you know, why are you doing it this way? Or, you know, why isn't it more like what I want it to be? And, uh, the other mailing list that I was a part of just, you know, it was, it was not their kind of fiction at all. They just, you know, it, they were more into the transformation as, as a focus of fiction, um, which is something that I've used extensively in my stories and will continue to use extensively. But I'm more interested ultimately in what happens to people when, you know, and how they change when extraordinary things are done to them. So it's it's always more about the characters for me than it mm -hmm. is about any particular plot device. And when I started to stray away from the cherished plot devices of those particular settings, people were not really as interested in what I was doing. So as I, as I started listening to these uh, podcast novels and realizing that people were getting an audience for their fiction that way, that it was a way to sort of test the waters for what I was doing with a broader audience than uh, what I had previously been exposing my work to. Because, you know, putting stuff up on a website and the internet is, you know, shouting into the <laughs> abyss. The chances of anybody ever noticing uh, my little website were vanishingly small. Um, whereas podcasting has this really nifty sort of uh, community built up. The uh, The fact that they ran promos for different people's websites on podcasts was really interesting to me and it was it was a way of you know kind of spreading the word you know mutual admiration society as it were and uh, i realized that if i could tap into that community and become a part of it that i could potentially get my fiction out to a lot more people than would otherwise be able to experience it so i started doing some investigating into how much it would cost to actually you know, put together a podcasting rig, I realized that it was something that I could afford and, uh, you know, just started putting it together. And, uh, of course it did not hurt that I was able to get Leanne Mabry, uh, in my, uh, in my corner from <laughs> very early on that, uh, you know, I, I approached her through uh, MySpace and basically said, Hey, I've got this character, this story that I'd love for you to read, for my podcast if you're interested in doing it and you know she read the story and she's like wow this is great and you know she just could not stop saying enough wonderful things about it so that was when i started to realize you know this really could mm -hmm. work this could be something that uh, that has legs so uh, has that surprised you of how the reaction has been from the listeners you know i i don't know if i would 
I don't know if I would say it was surprise. In some ways, I'm surprised because I'm that I delve into some pretty high weirdness in a lot of my stories. And so in some ways I'm surprised that at the lack of negative feedback, the lack of uh, people, you know, staring at me in, in wonder, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's an expression that uh, they talk about in the science fiction writers association called the, uh, the squid in the mouth which is the uh, concept of the writer who um, comes forward with these br- ideas that he's convinced are, are really brilliant and, and daring and are you know just these, these really bold and unusual interpretations of, of society and commentaries on, on the world. And everybody else is just staring at him as if he has a live squid in his <laughs> mouth. So I expected more of that than I've gotten. Um, you know, for the most part, people have been extremely supportive. I think that if anything, growing up in the Midwest, I underestimated the level of weirdness that the average uh, science fiction consumer is willing to tolerate. <laughs> so where do you find inspiration for your stories? Oh gosh, uh, where haven't I found inspiration? If anything, the the problem I've had with uh, Metamore City has been trying to avoid the uh, everything in the kitchen sink <laughs> scenario. Trying to, you know, I, I run across so many things that I want to tell stories about, and uh, it's been a, a situation of trying to make it all fit together in a way that is cohesive and and makes sense so that nothing feels tacked on. In terms of influences that have shaped my my fiction and the way that I look at the world, um, there are a few big ones that I have to mention. Uh, Robert Heinlein, the way that he tackled political and social questions, and, you know, a lot of what I was saying earlier about taking people and putting them in situations of extreme weirdness and watching how that changes society and changes the people in the society. He did a lot of that, and he was not at all shy about the the issues that he tackled. Orson Scott Card, um, Mm -hmm. brilliant at characterization. He's, He's probably one of the best people in the biz these days for building characters and also for tackling deep philosophy in a way that didn't feel tacked on to the story. He managed to explore some really profound ideas. Uh, I'm thinking, of course, of of the Ender books, but also of the Worthing Saga, um, where he was really looking at some very serious meaning of life type stuff, but he was doing it within the context of the story and he didn't allow the philosophy to uh, drown out the fact that he was telling a story. So I've, I've always admired him for that. J.R.R. Tolkien for world building. Of course, he was probably the original uh, world builder in terms of modern science fiction and fantasy writers you know, the level of detail and depth that he put into his stories from the way that um, geography and language and all these other factors played into the way that people's societies developed. You know, that that's stuff that uh, he really got me thinking about. And uh, just the sense of, of scope and wonder mm-hmm. that he put into his works. 
Uh, for more modern authors, uh, I would say Jim Butcher and Kim Harrison have taught me a lot about characterization. They've also, because they're writing in urban fantasy type settings, they've uh, forced me to think about a lot of the things that you need to me- to balance out when you're mixing magic with modern society. You know, we I didn't end up using a lot of the same answers that they did, or you know, I didn't come to the same conclusions, but they made me at least uh, face the questions and deal with them. Looking a little further abroad into movies and television, the idea of Metamore City was originally inspired by Coruscant, the uh, world city or mm. city world from Star Wars. Back, you know, this was would have been during the, the days of the novels before uh, episode one even came out. Uh, Coruscant was being mentioned. And that idea of a layered city really struck with me. Babylon 5 uh, really made me think about the relationships between mundanes and supernatural creatures, whether they're uh, telepaths or just these big, powerful beings who have sort of used human history as a, a battlefield for their own ideologies. All of that really fed into the backstory for Metamore City. Uh, in comics, I would say that the X-Men was probably my biggest uh, influence, largely because of Magneto. His story is really interesting to me because here you've got this guy who's you know, clearly powerful. He's clearly gifted, brilliant mind. And he says, you know, the humans aren't doing it right. They aren't, their whole society is flawed. They aren't treating each other right. They aren't treating us right. Uh, so we're going to go and build our own little society. We're going to do things our way. You know, first it was a space station, then it was Genosha. And, uh, you know, we're going to just withdraw from their way of doing things, withdraw from their world, and we're going to build it from scratch. We're going to do it all perfectly. And, of course, it fails disastrously. Of course. And But the question that always interested me is, why doesn't it work? Mm. And a lot of those kinds of questions really shaped my thinking about the upcoming novel, uh, Making the Cut, which really focuses in on the Psy Collective as a society. Here you have these people who are capable of extraordinary things and who are capable of forming these group minds, this, this gestalt, where literally my neighbor's interest is my interest. And, you know, able to, to really achieve true consensus in a way that human beings just aren't capable of doing. This is a society that has everything going for it. It should be able to work. And then looking at the fact, okay, yes, even with all of these abilities, these people are still human and they still have Mm. human weaknesses and human foibles and human neuroses and all of those things go into the pot Because when humans think about problems, we don't just think about them in a logical way. We think about them in an emotional way. And our emotions have at least as big of an influence on why we do the things that we do as our logic does. And so if, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've got one mind or 10,000 minds uh, working together, if they're humans, they're still going to be functioning in that very logically tainted way. And even if you do make logical, pragmatic decisions, those things can be undermined 
because of the emotional element, because what really matters to us as human beings is not so much what our logic tells us. It's what are we able to live with? What, you know, what things are we willing to give up in order to achieve some measure of, of happiness in our lives? What are we willing to sacrifice in order to have order and stability? And what are we, what do we draw the line at? What do we say, you know, I don't care if this is in service to the needs of the many. I don't care if this is something that is in my own best interest long term. I can't live with myself if I do what you are asking me to do. And those conflicts and that tension between the needs of the individual and the emotional needs of people versus what is in the pragmatic best interest of the society, those are a lot of the things that I get into in the upcoming novel. Some really deep stuff, but you've definitely been spending a lot of time thinking about all this, and it shows, I think. Well, thank it's you. It's really a fresh... A fresh way of looking at all of this, I think, and that's what I think makes it so interesting. Well, cool. I'm glad that uh, my stuff is able to uh, inspire people, and if it gets people thinking about some questions in, in ways that they might not have otherwise, then I think that'll be good. You know, I'm, I've uh, spent a lot of time in recent years looking at the way that our society has been going here in America and uh, the way that my, uh, more microcosmically, the, the way that the society of the American church, the Christian church that I, I consider myself to be a part of, even if I, I don't necessarily affiliate myself with any particular denomination anymore, I see a lot of problems and a lot of, of challenges that we are facing on both of those levels that we're not facing very well. And uh, this, the process of writing this novel has allowed me to explore a lot of things that I'd like to be able to say to America and things that I'd like to be able to say to the Western Church about how we interact with the rest of the world around us, because I think that we make a lot of the same mistakes that the Psy Collective is making. And uh, we make them for a lot of the same reasons, because we're being driven by our emotions and our insecurities rather than what is pragmatically in our best interest. This is geek cred after all. So I've got to ask, what is the geekiest thing you've ever done? Oh, my gosh. Oh, the geekiest thing that I have ever done. That's a long list. <laughs> um, I, I think that probably the, the geekiest thing that I have done in recent memory is probably going to Gen Con by myself um, just for the experience of, of being there in a, a gaming convention. Um, you know, that was something I did back in 2004, I had uh, been in, I'd been playing role-playing games since 1999 or so, but had never actually gotten to go to any any sort of a convention. My my world of of my gaming experience had been pretty small, pretty limited. So, excuse me, I got the opportunity to go 
um, you know, got a really nice package deal to, to go to Indianapolis and, you know, got the hotel and everything. And it was the, uh, it was the, the 30th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons that mm. year, I think. And so, you know, it was like this, you know, big anniversary celebration and I heard about it and got a good package deal to go out there. And I was like, shoot, I'm doing it. I'm just going <laughs> to go and spend the weekend. And so I, I went out there and spent a weekend uh, playing role-playing games and um, buying way more swag than I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, my geekiness is a, a long and, and varied list. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer. So where can people go to find more about you and about Metamore City? Okay. Well, you can find the Metamore City podcast at www.metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. Not to be confused with the word metamore, which has been coined by the polyamory community, which I did not know about (laughs) (laughs) when I started this thing. Think metamor like metamorphosis people. So that's that's where you'll find the podcast, and uh, you can sign up there and get it delivered. The uh, f- first chapter, uh, or the prologue, rather, of Metamore City Making the Cut debuts on December 30th. You know, up until then, we'll be running some, some short stories to sort of establish mm-hmm. the world of Metamore City. You can find me on MySpace as Ethereus, that's E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. And you can find me on Twitter by the same alias. And uh, that's pretty much my coverage. I'm not hugely spread out over the internet. I've, I've kind of invoked Ely's heuristic, which is... Before you ask me to join a, a new form of social media, we'd better either be planning to work together or sleep together. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me a very good, very pragmatic yeah. um, method. <laughs> and it certainly has helped to keep me sane, because if I had to deal with Facebook and, I don't know, name six other social media devices, uh, just yeah. it's too it, much. It can get it's a bit just overwhelming. <laughs> Well, Chris, thanks for taking some time out to come on and talk about Metamorph City. And I know I am definitely looking forward to listening to Making the Cut. And everybody can check out all the short stories that got posted so far and get caught up and get familiarized with this great universe. Well, thanks very much, Steve, for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks again, Chris, for taking some time out and coming on the show to talk about Metamorph City. Now, I want to give a very special thanks for Kean McMahon from View from the Quad for his generous donation. Thanks a lot, Kean. It's little donations like these that help keep me bringing the show to you. If you can spare a few bucks, please consider donating. Every little bit counts. Now, in the past, I've talked about the great little IRC community we've got, but this time I want to give a very special shout out to everyone that's in there and chatting it up right now as I'm recording this. So, we've got Alex, Brad2007, Cordrown, Cody P. Christian, Captain Rootbeer, DQB, Debdrup, Famicoman, Gelata, JD Hoare, Justin, Carrick Sindrew, Lord Cat, Maddox Cream, M Theory X, Mubix, Testmad, The Giant, and Titanus. I want to thank all of them for hanging out and being so supportive of the show. 
Now, you want to join in on the fun? Hey, just point your IRC client to irc.geekcred.net and join channel pound geekcred. Or if you're not so IRC savvy and this is a little bit beyond you, hey, that's okay. Everyone's got their deal. But I've got you covered. So just head over to geekcred.net slash chat or just by clicking the chat section in the menu bar. Now we've got a little Java web-based chat applet there so you can jump right in and join the fun. I hope to see you there. Now before I go, I do want to mention I'm thinking about doing another live show. Some of you might remember a while back I did a live show on TalkShoe and we had a lot of fun doing that. Had my buddy Steve Saylor guest co-hosting then. Well, I'm thinking about doing one again. I don't have a date yet, but stay tuned to the website for details on that. And you can look forward to that coming up. All right. Well, if you've got any questions, comments, feedback, even flames, hey, I want to hear it. Email me, geekcred at geekcred.net. Call the voicemail line at 206-424-9125. Or head on over to the website at www.geekcred.net. Now, if you like the show and you want to support what I'm doing here, please leave a review on iTunes, vote at Podcast Alley, add it to your playlist at Podcast Pickle, or dig it at dig.com. Now, GeekCred is a proud member of Friends in Tech. You can find out more information about all the member shows there at www.friendsintech.com. Well, if you like the show, please consider telling a friend and maybe they will too. I've got some great more interviews coming up for you guys, but that's it for me for now. So, you know how it goes. Until next time, geek on!